This is the Editor's Half Hour. Step into the life of an editor for 30 minutes as we discuss the craft of editing, industry trends, and editorial resources. Your host is co-founder and CEO of Peak Publishing, Inc., Nadia Jaja Pupa. She is experienced in all facets of the publishing industry, from editing to design, and works with corporate clients and self-published authors. Nadia and her guests are about to share powerful insights and stories on what it takes to be an editor. And this is your host, Nadia Jaja Pupa. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Editor's Half Hour. Today, we're going to talk about true crime. This is a topic that is seriously interesting to a lot of people. It is so interesting that there's even a podcast category dedicated to true crime, at least on Apple. I know that for sure. So we're going to talk about why is it such an interesting topic. We're going to talk about how it how the, the process works in developing stories that are related or are focused on serious things that happen, which is true crime. Um, and so today we have Andrea Topper. Andrea and I met so randomly in a networking event, and it was so much fun. And when she told me what she was working on, we were comparing notes on our projects. And I work. I was working on something at the time uh, that was very intense. It, it was somebody sharing details about their personal struggles and abuse. And it's a very heavy topic. And um, Andrea said, well, I'm doing something similar. And then I, <laughs> and then I just remember my face getting closer and closer to the screen. And I couldn't, I was just so interested to hear what she was working on. And so that's, that's a little bit of background on how we met. And um Andrea has, she's an editor, she's a writer, she's working on something right now. So Andrea, tell us all about you and how you got to this place, because you have a little bit of that journalistic background as well. And I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the great introduction, Nadia. I appreciate that. Um, so yes, I started my career as a journalist. That's that's what I did. And that's what I love doing. I still feel like that's part of who I am as a human, <laughs> that curiosity <laughs> that I have. And so, um, you know, now I got into corporate communications, but I still apply a lot of, you know, that journalism style to the the content and the communications that I create today. And I actually, you know, over time, I uh, have come to see that as very valuable. At first, I was like, oh, I don't really fit in here. But now I, I see it as something that can be very valuable. So in terms of how I got to this particular place, in terms of trying to embark on the kind of uh, massive endeavor of, of writing a book about um, true crime and someone specifically, um, years ago, a few years ago, I was working for CrossFit headquarters in the media department, and they received a request to teach a level one seminar. This is to basically create coaches. You go and you teach a class and they take a test and you watch them teach, coach other people. And these happen around the world, you know, okay. multiple times over the course of a weekend. But this is the first time that CrossFit had received a request from a prison. And it was wow. specifically a local police officer in the um, state of Colorado who was working with some of these prisoners who he himself had a CrossFit gym at the time. And he was basically making this pitch. Can you guys come and teach this class? And so it was um, 
it was actually a quick yes from CrossFit at the time. I mean, CrossFit has, cool. has been known to be, you know, untraditional <laughs> and um, iconoclastic. So I was like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And so it was through that me going and kind of as kind of very much and still a journalistic style, I'm going to go cover this, right? <laughs> right. And write about it. And um, yeah, that was that was a very interesting experience because when I first went – my mind kind of wasn't in the place of like, oh, we're going to prison and not jail. And, you know, I just sort of made some assumptions. I'm like, oh, well, I like literally didn't even think about what their crimes were, but I was unconcerned. I remember that being unconcerned. And they were super attentive group of students, just eating up the information, finishing the instructor's words because they had studied so much that they knew the material really well. Wow. And I remember that night going back to my hotel room and starting to Google their names. Okay. And I was like, oh my, <gasps> these wow. guys are here for, for like uh, murder, um, assault. Um, sexual assault. It was a little like the reason, and it wasn't just like the the kind of the shock or the revelation of learning their crimes. What it was is that I watched that first day of the class, and I found them so relatable. Wow! Because of their CrossFit experience and my CrossFit yeah. experience, yeah. that when I got back to the hotel and started looking this up, I was actually having a personal struggle of like, wait a second. Had I known this before I went in, I think I would have had, frankly, a different attitude. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. About it. So yeah. it was it was a weird moment for me, I think, or realizing like that I sort of liked them, that I thought they were cool. And then I went back and I was like, oh, my God, like the, this is serious. Like their their crimes are not, you know, anything petty. Right. 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 Yeah. So how did you show up the next day? Do you had to go back another day the next yes. day? So <laughs> yes, what was that like? Day, you went yeah. in you went in probably like scared? I don't know. What did you what did you feel? It's how so did you weird because I wasn't that? scared and I don't okay. I can't even explain to you why. Um okay. maybe it was because I saw first like how compelled they were by the CrossFit philosophy to the point where I saw how they interacted with each other first and it was very respectful. Okay. It wasn't until later that I came to learn like, Hey, this community essentially that they have created around CrossFit, which happened very naturally is something that is unusual in prisons. I don't have any experience in prisons. So when I talked to one of the administrators there, he said, what is so Uh, what is unique, what is surprising, and what is refreshing about what's happening with this CrossFit program here is that typically in prisons, you see people form, um, I'll go go as mild as saying like, you know, their own group of people to as extreme as their own gang. And it completely breaks down on racial lines. Mm -hmm. And he's like, with their, what they're doing right here with CrossFit, like I saw a mix of people in terms of skin that's color great. Yeah. and ethnicity. And I didn't think anything about it when I saw it because that's what I'm used right. to in CrossFit. Right. But when he told me, no, no, this is weird. 
this is not the way it happens. It's not typical. Yeah. I was like, wow. Okay. So, so now they've created a situation where they've created a community across racial lines, across ethnic lines. Right. And not only are they treating each other better, but frankly, it makes it easier for the prison staff as well to interact with them, right? Their attitudes yeah. start to change, right? It's the typical things that you might see with like, oh, we're doing exercise and, uh, you know, all of the um, kind of chemicals that that produces when you exercise, those feel-good chemicals. Right. And um, yeah, that was fascinating because, you know, typically we had thought of the CrossFit experience being like, well, you really have to go to a gym and you really have to watch all these videos from all of the people involved in creating CrossFit to really understand. But all right. they had was this manual that someone else had to like access via computer and print out for them. Okay. And they created this community, which to me really spoke to the strength of the the methodology of CrossFit that they could just yeah. read something and then they would organically all on their own without any much of any outside influence create a community in the same way that you would see at a gym. In fact, the, the trainers who were there wow. to teach the course said, I can't, like, this is quintessential CrossFit. And they had no really outside influence except from this one, you know, police officer shown a gym and he wasn't there all the time. You know, he visited wow. like maybe a couple times a month. Yeah. So from that perspective, you could see how it changed sort of the social dynamics It changed people's attitudes. And that's why, in Colorado, it has kind of proliferated. That CrossFit program is now in many more prisons. That's and even the Colorado Department of Corrections is involved in trying to see, okay, how can we spread this throughout all of our facilities? Because we're seeing how much it benefits everyone. Yeah, that's a very powerful change to witness, especially in that setting. So, so there you are, there in a prison, you know, you're just this beautiful girl walking into this room and it's all men, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what was that like? And then how did that lead you to single, you know, you singled out somebody specific that you thought yeah. would make an interesting story to cover. Right. Um, so it led to something. So how did, how did that explain a little bit about that? And then we can fast forward a little bit to where you are now on your project too. Right. Yeah. So you know, the walking into the room part didn't feel totally, I, I didn't feel unsafe or like I wasn't very focused on, I'm the only female in the room. I right. mean, you know, I, I, I coached Olympic weightlifting for many years. I coached wow. karate. Um, That's and cool. so I'm kind of used to being the only female in the room a lot of times. Okay. <laughs> So That's cool. That wasn't That's a cool. new feeling. Having said that, though, when I was moving between buildings, so so I should back up and say that this group, whom was taking this level one seminar, they were in this incentive unit. So they kind of were people that the only way you get there is like good behavior, basically. Oh, okay, okay. good, okay. So that's to begin with. Now, when <laughs> okay. I was moving between this is huge campus, right? This right. This, this prison. Yeah. Um, and when I was moving between some of the buildings, um, I did encounter a group from not from the incentive unit, but a different unit. And okay. they were probably what you would think of as a stereotype of male prisoners reacting to a female. 
Um, oh, not God. all of it is probably <laughs> appropriate. appropriate. <laughs> uh, I did write about it, but, um, okay. you know, it didn't shock me because I, I expected, yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't know what is going to happen, but something weird is definitely going to happen. Right. right. And, and so you're I tough was, and you've got, you know, you're not like <laughs> coming in like, oh no, you, like right. you said, you had that expectation a little bit. Of yes, it, so. I did. And so, you know, when some, one of them yelled something, you know, oh, God. inappropriate solicitation, I'll call it. I just <laughs> didn't even turn around. I just kept walking. The Good administrator I was with was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, don't worry about it. Because I kind of get it. And it, it yeah. wasn't about me. They don't know me. Right. It wasn't personal, right? So right, I of course. expect that. But right. um, so anyway, back to the this particular group from this incentive unit. Yeah. So I, I started talking to to more of them because I I was fascinated by the fact that I felt so comfortable around them, but I knew that some of them were there for some absolutely hideous crimes. Horrible things, yeah. And I I was kind of reflecting on myself. I'm like, what is why is it that I have why am I okay with this? It's weird. <laughs> if you had explained this situation to me before I went in, I'd be like, oh no, uh-uh, no. no. Right. You know, I would have had an attitude about like an right. attitude problem about yeah. it, you know? Of course. And so I talked to one of the guys uh, that was there and it was like, there was two other, two or three other guys around him. And I did not know that I was kind of committing a faux pas, but um, oh, I okay. said, so what are you here for? Well, they don't talk about that with each other because if there are certain things, right? Like in this case, the guy who I was talking to, like he was in there for murder. Okay. And I looked him up later. He wasn't one of the people I looked up that first night. Um, He was there for fatally stabbing his wife and toddler. Oh my God. Right. And so that, that'll get some definitely unwanted attention from fellow prisoners is, killing a child. Right. 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 That's horrible. And he, uh, he whispered it when he said murder and I, it didn't compute. Right. Like, why is right. he whispering? Right. Like, don't, doesn't everybody know why you're in here, but they don't, right. they don't talk about but you, that. But you wouldn't know that cause you're not, in, no. you know, so you're just no. innocent, kind of innocently asking and yes. then, you know, just, Hey, what are you in for? <laughs> oh my right. God. Yeah. Oh. And then the fact that he chose to answer Okay. And also like I, I followed up cause they can, you know, they get phone calls. So I, I followed up with some of them was able to schedule phone calls. That's cool. Um, he made a conscious decision to tell me, even though he knew what the repercussions could be. And I mean, frankly, he doesn't really know what the repercussions could be. Is someone going to lash out and be like, you killed a kid. Right. And all of a sudden he gets and stabbed fight. as he, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a heinous crime. There's no two ways about that. And he would agree. Um, yeah. But in that he, process, so I, I wrote this, right, this article, a couple of articles. One was just okay. like about the program and what happened. Another one was a little bit of a self-reflection. Okay. And, um, and then I just kind of kept talking to him because he, he was trying to kind of proliferate this program with a bunch of other guys because they saw how much it made things better made them better and made other people around them better the prison liked it because prisoners were easier to interact with talk to and then that whole idea of you know they kept they called themselves the whole time redemption road crossfit and they eventually became an officially recognized crossfit gym wow um so that idea of redemption right yeah it's a fascinating one and i 
you know, I don't have, I don't have any answers for the audience, but I, I, I don't, you know, the other day I was having a conversation with someone who, um, who ministers at prisons. It's just okay. completely separate from the story. And, right. um, I told her about this person I know that I talked to, this man I talked to in prison, right. told her what he had done. And she said, has he forgiven himself? Mm. And I said, I, I don't know the answer to that question, actually. That's a really good And the question. next time I talked to him, I said, I told him, I, hey, I have this, I was talking to this person at work, yeah. ministers at prison. She asked me if you'd forgiven yourself. Have you? And he Whoa. was silent for a little bit. And he was like, and then he kind of laughs, just like a real kind of mild chuckle. And he was like, I'm working on it. Yeah. And you know, frankly, I don't know, you know, I, <laughs> right. I don't know how you do this. I don't, I don't right. know, you know, some people would look at it and say redemption is not possible, yeah. right? Yeah. Now you can't come back right. from something like that. Right, right. Um, but if I just look at like the big picture here, right, the point of all of this, like why am I even doing it? Right. Is taking a look at the U.S. prison system and how it really largely fails. Mm-hmm. Okay. We do not rehabilitate folks. There are right. certainly some spots around that are improving. I mean, Colorado Department of Corrections and their prison system is one example with this CrossFit program. But I mean, for the most part, we just kind of put people in cages and say, like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like you're an animal, so we're going to treat you like one right. until you die. Right. That's right. the punishment, but, you know. Totally. And I understand that, too. Like, right. The punitive aspect. I understand right. that. But what if you could just make the situation better for everybody? Right. Is there harm in that, right? And then this right. argument, by the way, like, who knows what kind of comments <laughs> you'll get on this because this <laughs> argument never ends. Because right. some people were like, why are you doing this? Why are you going right. and making them right. physically stronger? It's like, hey, they were going to do this with or without us. Right. But the effect it has on their psyche and making those around them better, providing a community, even if they do stay there forever and die in prison, right? It's decidedly less miserable if you have a community, if you have a group of people that's supportive, if right. you can interact with others with respect. Right. Um, you know, it's a big deal. And the um, fact that you went in not knowing anything, that's kind of what opened your eyes to this as well. If yeah. you had gone in in the very, very beginning and had known all the stories, this guy murdered somebody, this guy, you know you would have walked in completely with a completely different mindset. So the fact that you went in completely, you know, ignorant of the backgrounds of these men, it kind of gave you a, like you said, a how do you even describe that weird moment that you experienced when you looked at them as human beings and not as criminals, right? You know, that's really what it was in your mind. I mean, I'm speaking for you, but it sounds like that's what it was. Um, yeah. And now you're approaching a, a, a really, really interesting project. So you are writing a whole story. This is this is real, I mean, true crime now. And why I think it is interesting though, and in you, I want you to speak a little bit more about what, what is pushing you and your purpose behind writing this. And you you talked about the prison system as a whole, but the reason that this this topic specifically is interesting to so many people. And I, and this is my opinion. I do feel that people are very much compelled and intrigued by 
these grotesque things? Why do people like horror films? Why do people, you know, why, or something that might be considered quote unquote scary. Um, it's mildly entertaining. And that's so disturbing to say because true crime is true crime. This is right. actual yeah. crimes. Yeah. This isn't fiction. And so now it's going to, I'm going to pivot a little to discuss your ethics behind this and your responsibility as the editor, as almost a journalist, as a writer, how deep do you go and how dark, this is dark, dark. I mean, this is real stuff that happened. Yeah. Um, you have that responsibility now that you're carrying almost a burden of, of telling a story, but how graphic do you get? You know, right. this is a very graphic thing that happened, a very horrific thing. Um, so I want to know about your expertise in this world of writing true crime and, and, and like I said, ethics and responsibilities behind that. Right. Yeah, for sure. I it definitely at, at some points kind of reminds me of my early days as a reporter, because as most reporters, like I started covering cops, right? I was right. cops beat. Yep. And um, early on in my career, I had to cover um, a murder. Um, oh. Yeah, um, I'm just remembering that now as we're talking. But um, I was still in college, you know, I um, was working at one of the newspapers in town and there was, there was a double murder in a quiet little town that was wow. very unusual. And, uh, the guys were on the run. There was like a manhunt and all this stuff. So it wasn't That's quite crazy. as, um, it was terrible. It wasn't quite as maybe I'll say grotesque or heinous as like, you know, it's, it's, it's different to shoot someone right. Where you can have distance versus like having a knife in your hand and plunging it into someone's it's body. Something different. different yeah. Right? That's yep. That's something else. Um, so when I started talking to, uh, Damien is his name mm -hmm. and talking to him more frequently, the journalist in me was like, I have to know all the things, right? Because you're used to being thorough. You did you miss anything? I need to know every detail. Maybe I need to recreate something, right? In the storytelling. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, let me see what information he is willing to share, like verbally. So we got into some conversations that, you know, I remember one time I said, "Do you remember killing them?" And he said, "Yes." And I said, okay. "No, I don't think you understood what I asked." do you remember what it felt like for you to plunge the knife into your wife and into your son? Oh, God. And then when, as soon as I asked it, I was like, why did I ask that question? Do I even want to know the answer to this? Like I, I couldn't <laughs> oh, even God. believe it came out of my mouth because I was like, the journalist in me was like, you need to ask this. And yeah. then the human in me was like, why did you just say that? Right. Right. And there was silence. Okay. For like a while. And to the point, like okay. sometimes the prison phones don't work very well and they like disconnect. And I was like, I thought, you thought you disconnected? We got disconnected. And so I was about to say hello. And then mm. he said, yes. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> and so that was one moment where I was like, oh, my. All right. This is yeah. this is deep. And then I asked him. I, was, I told him. I was like, hey, I'm going to try to go about the process of getting this, your entire, like, the whole police report. Yeah, He's like, okay, I, I do have some stuff that I got, you know, from some of the prison officials or whatever. And so he sent me some, some basically um, some police, part of the police reports where like the police walk in the house. What did they find? Mm -hmm. All this kind of stuff. Right. <clears throat> and it's graphic. It tells you how the bodies were found. 
And I had all of this inside me, right? That I was like, oh, I need to get it out. Like I can't oh, live it just in God. here, right? Because oh. it was so much. Yeah. And I would go to try to tell my husband, he's like, hey, easy. I I can't also absorb this. This is too much for me. Right. right? So I was like, all so right. What did you do? How did you handle that? That's like, <laughs> that's too much. So you're, you're, you know, compelled to tell this story, right? Yes. You're, you're given deep, dark information, graphic details from the police yeah. report, you know, yeah. heavy, heavy, heavy. That's all I can think of to say, how, yeah. did, how do you, or do you still struggle with this? I mean, I want your honest answer. Do you still struggle with the, the heaviness of this and how it affects, it's almost emotional labor surrounding this, this yeah. project does it affect your everyday life? How do you block it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when my husband was like, I, I don't want to hear about this. And I'm like, right. oh, I need to tell somebody. He goes, why don't you just write about it? That's what you like to do, right? Okay. You like to write? Yeah. I was like, all right, I'll start a blog. And he stays Good. far, far away from the blog. But okay. I did start doing that, right? And yeah, um, that selfishly helped me, but also helped to organize my thoughts around it too. Like, what is, why, why am I doing this? You know, what's the point again? Like I went back to like, I do see this as a bright spot in a largely failing U S prison system yeah. where recidivism is high, right? People, people leave, they don't know another way. They leave with no money, no new skills, <laughs> probably no friends. Probably and no let's friends. face it, family that don't want to be associated. So what do they do? They fall back into similar patterns and then back they go again into prison, right? And it's just a cycle that doesn't need to happen. So yeah, I did that. It was the block, right? That was part of it. Yeah, now I, I should add that. that the night of the crime, it began with him and his wife arguing. Okay. He has two other children and they were in the house. When, his, when they started arguing, they ran next door. He had a daughter and another son. Um, and they were still very young at the time, but they ran next door and the neighbor was the one that called the police and the police came over and found what they found. And the children, the surviving children didn't see that, but that's another component, okay. right? This, there's Is this irresponsible to right. put this out in the world when he has two children out there who could read this? And that might not have taken the effort to go and dig up, you know, public police reports. Right. And I can understand that. Right. It's so I, I'm not saying that I have a clear answer of like this, you know, has to be out there in the world and I will do whatever it takes. But I, I do feel like it's important to, to put that idea out in the world that, listen, we have a, a, a this prison system that doesn't do its job in rehabilitating for sure. And isn't it is it's always in my mind, a good thing to make people better. Right. Right. And so if you're creating this situation where they can have community, they're interacting better with each other, they're respecting each other, they're respecting the prison staff. Even right. like I said, even if they live out their final days there, isn't that better for everybody? Mm-hmm. And, and now you're taking your, your place as that writer and editor to position a very heavy topic and a very giant thing that's, that you've witnessed and you, and you feel very much compelled to share your opinions and your perspective on what you've observed and witnessed. 
So, so what would you, we have to wrap this up, but I really think we're going to have to do a part two because we have, (laughs) I really barely scratched the surface on this. So, so hopefully we can do a part two. No, we are going to do a part two. Um, (laughs) But to wrap up this segment, okay. I just decided on the fly, we're doing a part two, but to wrap up this part one, let's end this message on, on the editor's responsibility and your role as I guess your writer as well. You're writing this story. So if there are, and you're not the only one doing something like this, you know, there are other editors, maybe they're not talking about it, but what if there's an editor out there that is given this task or wants to take this on? What advice do you have any advice for those people or people, those editors, writers, what would you share? What what sort of um, advice, I guess, is, is, is really what I'm getting at that you yeah. share about this? Yeah, I think for me it was, okay, I had this journalistic background where I wanted to get every single detail because I felt like I needed an entire picture and I had to have all the information. By the way, I didn't get all the police reports. After he sent me that detailed report, I was like, do I right. really need the rest of this? Right. What good is it going to do me? to know this information? What good is it going to know the world? Is this really the point, right? As a journalist, you're, you're wanting to get all the details. I need everything or else I can't, like, I can't have a complete picture. But right. again, right. going back to why am I doing this in the first place? Is it, does it serve anyone necessarily to add every excruciating and heinous and disturbing detail into right. this? Right, right does it? And I have to ask myself that question like constantly. (laughs) Like, it's not like I've resolved it because I go back and I'm like, maybe I should do this and get, I'm like, oh my God, you know, there's going to be pictures in there. Is this what you want to do to yourself? Right. Right. And is this what I want to do? Like, and and do I share that? Right. 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 This is a real, right. It's a real issue that you're you're struggling with as an editor, as a writer. There's no class you could take. What are you going to do? You know, (laughs) (laughs) like take a class on how to, how to handle these these um, major questions that you're asking, but I, I really respect and admire that you are constantly asking yourself those questions to help yourself determine what should go in and what shouldn't go in. And the fact that you're showing restraint, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's very admirable that you're, you know how to do that. And it's tough. You're not, you're showing tough. us, yeah. you're telling us that that's not easy, but the fact that you're doing that is huge. So very cool. Editors out there listening to this who are intrigued by true crime, it is very intriguing. You know, it's in, it's awkward to say that it's entertaining, but it, unfortunately it is. Um, people get sucked into other podcasts that cover true, true crime stories for a reason. Um, so like I said, other editors out there who are maybe working on some true crime, even editors working on fiction based off of true crime, you know, these, these lessons still apply. These things that Andrea explained still apply. So I just want to say thank you, Andrea. I want to continue this conversation. This is not done, but to the listeners, we are going, I'm going to look at the show notes because I'm going to put in links to Andrea and her blog to get some more background on what she's experienced in her process, that her process is still going. So let's, Let's get this this uh, information out there and we can use it as a learning process as well. So again, thank you, Andrea, for your time. I'm really excited to continue this conversation on what other things you've experienced in this writing process. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Editor's Half Hour. 
This podcast is your go-to resource for editorial trends, opening the discussion for new ideas through the real-life stories of editors. For more information about Nadia Jaja Pupa and her business, visit peakpublishing.com. That's P-I-Q-U-E publishing.com. Be sure to follow Peak Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember to subscribe and follow The Editor's Half Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.